Welcome to The Word at First Pres, the official podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the fall, we're going to be working through a series called God in Science. Each week, we're going to be exploring the various ways that God has revealed to us through the study and field of science. And our first scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Once, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 48. It starts off saying, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Just then there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. As he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had immediately been healed. He said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. So as you all know, we've been doing a sermon series called God in Science. Each week, we're talking about the various ways that we find God revealed to us through the field and the study of science. This week, before we dive into our topic for today, I want to take a step back and I want to ask the question, why are we doing this series? Because the truth is, I think for many of you, you might think, well, Alex loves science and he wants to subject us to his love of science for the next three months. But that's not entirely why I'm doing this. I do love science and I do want to tell you about some of the things that I've learned, but there's something more important to it than that, which is today you live in a world, 2016, where there is a very clear division between those who are religious and those who are non-religious. Do you agree? Okay. And you're religious, so clearly you believe in Christianity. That's why you're here. But the non-religious, where do they put their faith? Science. That's where they put it. They put all their faith into science. And for good reason, too. Has science been beneficial to our world? Absolutely. We all have reaped the benefit of science in our lives. And so they see science as the way forward to a better future. But as a person who believes in religion... I don't think science is the whole story. I think that there's another part to it, an important part, that you're more holistic when you combine science 
and religion together as one. Now, as I said, I'm sure most of you all would probably agree with me on that one, right? But there's an issue, which is that for people who believe in science and they're all in on that, religion, they're like, you don't need it, you don't want it, stay away from it. And so the reason why we're doing this series is because if you ever get into a conversation with someone, and I actually get into conversations like this fairly often with people who have completely rejected religion and say science is what I put my faith into. It's a way for you to have an opportunity to talk about, well, I think I appreciate that that's where you have put all of your faith, but there is a whole other side to it, and it can really impact your life in positive ways if you're willing to see that faith has something to do with your life, that these two things shouldn't operate independently, that they should come together as one. And so hopefully what we're talking about here will give you some opportunities to actually discuss this with people if the opportunity ever arises. And so that is the reason why we are doing this series, not simply for me just to talk to you about a subject that I really do love, but so that if you have the opportunity, you might be able to work with people and have some tools to have a good discussion. So to get into our topic for today, I need to go back and just briefly describe what we talked about for the last two Sundays. So two Sundays ago, we talked about this idea of how your environment can change your biology. Literally, how your environment can change the way your cells read your DNA. And then last week, we talked about this idea of how your environment can change your perception of the world. And at the end of that sermon, I came to this point where I talked about what you believe to be true about yourself it affects the way that you act in the world. So I discussed this idea of how I believe that I was very unintelligent for a long time. I struggled with that. And how that belief actually really directed my life for a long time. Well, today, we're taking these two ideas and we're combining them together. Today, we are talking about how your belief can change your biology. And to start this off, I'm going to tell you about an experiment that was performed in 1979 by a woman named Ellen Langer. So Ellen Langer, she is a psychologist at Harvard University, and she'd been reading some data, some background on nursing homes. And what she discovered based on this data is that not too long after placing someone in a nursing home that they ended up dying. Like they would go in, and even if they were relatively healthy, they kind of went downhill very quickly. Now, this is 1979, the year I was born, by the way. And so many people at that time, science had not yet come up with the idea that your environment affects your biology. But Ellen Langer, she had this sneaking suspicion that the reason why people were dying so rapidly upon entering into a nursing home is because the environment was so negative. Now, that might not seem all of, like, all that shocking to everybody. Like, we're kind of like, yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? But in 1979, it didn't make a lot of sense. That was new information to people. Now, have you all ever had to put anybody in a nursing home? Have you ever had to do that to your loved one? Okay, it's a hard decision to make, isn't it? And the reason why is because it can feel like you're just taking them away from their lives, right? Because when they're living at home, they have everything. They have their life. They have what they want to do. They can eat when they want to eat. But what happens when they go to a nursing home? Well, you eat in a cafeteria at the time that they tell you that you're going to eat. 
At home, you can go out and do whatever you want to do, right? But now you have recreation at scheduled times. When you're at home, you're by yourself, you feel like you have your own life. Now you're around all these people who are strangers, many of whom are quite sick, and so it has an impact. It has an impact on your autonomy. It has an impact on your identity as a person, and all those things feel stripped away. Even if you're a healthy young person like me, that would have an impact on you going into a place like that. And so Ellen Langer, she wondered, what if, what if things were different? If the nursing home is the type of environment that seems to speed up the aging process, what if she could create an environment that could slow the aging process down? So she got eight men together who were in their 70s. Now these eight men, they were not in particularly good health. They all had a variety of different illnesses between them. And they walked. They were hunched. They were stooped over when they walked. They ha all had arthritis. And so she convinced them to do this study, and she got a baseline on them. So she performed a battery of tests to figure out where are they intellectually, where are they in terms of their physical health. And then Ellen Langer threw them all in a van and shipped them off to a monastery. So they get out of this van and they're left there and the driver just throws this stuff on the ground and takes off. Now, if you've ever been to a monastery, you probably know that they are not exactly handicap accessible. So, these men, right, who could barely walk, many of them, they pick up their suitcases and they have to walk up these stairs to get into this monastery. They're left by themselves. They go inside, and once they enter in, they find that they have been transported into the past. For you see, Ellen Langer had gone through painstaking efforts to recreate exactly what life was like 20 years earlier in 1959. So they walk in, and upon walking in, I'm just going to turn on my radio down here. Hold on a second. Let me just turn it on. Let me see if I can get it going here. <laughs> exactly. So they walk in, and what do they hear? They hear Perry Como playing on the radio. They see a black and white television off to the side. And there it is, the Ed Sullivan show beaming on this black and white TV. They come in, they look, and they see in the background they see that all the appliances, all the furniture, are exactly what it was like in 1959. Indeed, the newspapers, the magazines, everything that they're looking at, even the packaging of the food in the refrigerator, exactly like 1959. Now, she didn't go through all of this trouble to, to ensure that these men could go in there and be like, this is pretty cool, and then just reminisce about what it was like to live in 1959. No, no. She wanted them to live as if it were 1959. So, for example, when they talked about current events, what they did was they weren't to talk about 1959 as if it was 20 years ago. They were to talk about 1959 as if it was happening right now. She also took all of their clothes, got rid of those, and she gave them a brand new wardrobe, the wardrobe that they wore in 1959. And she put pictures of them from 20 years earlier all over the house so that they could see what they look like 20 years prior. And 
she even went so far as to remove all the reflective surfaces in the monastery so that there would be no reflection of what they look like in their present age. And so they did this. They lived like this for eight days. And at the end, they came out of the monastery and she reperformed a battery of tests. And she was comparing these eight men who lived like it was 1959 to another group of eight men in their 70s who were reminiscing about what it was like to live as if it were 1959. Now, both groups showed improvement in their scores. And this is what she said. Both groups showed improvements in physical strength, manual dexterity, gait, posture, perception, memory, cognition, taste sensitivity, hearing, and vision. For instance, for the intelligence scores, she found out, though, that the men who lived like it was 1959 had much, much higher scores. So, for the men who lived that way and the intelligence scores, it was 63% improvement over what they had taken eight days earlier compared to the men who reminisced, it was a 44% improvement. But where she saw the biggest change was in their physical demeanor. These men physically were acting very differently than they had prior to going into this study. So to give you just two examples of this, she had taken photographs before they entered and after they were done. And then she had independent volunteers sit down and look at both of these photos. They knew nothing about the study, what the study was about, nothing. All she said was, which one do you think looks younger, which one do you think looks older? Across the board, every single one of the volunteers looked at the after picture and thought it was an average of two years younger than the picture from before. And yet, that picture was only taken eight days later. Now, you might sit there and say, oh, well, they were probably just, like, really happy that they were in this situation, right? But actually, by the end of the week, a group of these guys went outside and on the front lawn of this monastery played an impromptu game of touch football. <laughs> Remember, these are the same guys who eight days earlier could barely walk into this monastery. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that this isn't just some psychological trick where Alan Langer was able to convince them that they were younger than they were. These men literally perceive themselves to be younger, and so their biology followed suit. Their physical bodies went through a transformation because they believed that they were younger than they actually were. Their perception became their reality. Now, what this tells us is extraordinary because this has huge implications for how we think about this idea that our perception becomes our reality. It adds a whole new dimension to it. So last week we talked about this idea of what you believe in your mind to be true, that becomes your reality. So if you believe that you're a failure, you're going to be a failure. If you believe that you're unintelligent, then you're going to be unintelligent. If you believe that you deserve to be abused, you will surround yourself with people who will abuse you. In other words, what you believe to be true in your mind affects how you act in the world. But if Ellen Langer's study is correct, what it tells us is that our perceptions, our beliefs, not only affect our behaviors, but they also change our biology. What you believe to be true about yourself 
can physically change your body. And that is exactly what we read about today in the scripture. Now, we talked about this scripture back when I was doing my Mark series. We read this exact same story. But I want to talk about it again because this story is really, really important for understanding how our belief in God, our belief in Jesus, our belief in the Spirit can change and transform us for the better. So let's go through the story real quick. Are you ready to go through it with me? Okay. So there's a woman, it says in the scripture, there's a woman who suffers from a hemorrhage. She's been suffering from it for the last 12 years. That word hemorrhage, according to scholars, really means probably menstruation. So this woman has been menstruating continuously for the last 12 years. I'm sure that every woman in here would say that that sounds horrific, and you would do just about anything you could to stop that from happening. So Jesus, he happens to be walking by one day, and as he's walking through, she sees him with this crowd. Now Jesus, he's on his way to heal this young girl who's dying. But she joins in the crowd, and she thinks to herself, if I can just reach out and touch his clothing, then maybe, just maybe, I could be healed. And so she's walking with him, and she finds the right moment, and she reaches out and just barely touches his clothing. And in that instant, she's healed. Now Jesus, he stops. And he turns around and he looks at the crowd, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, you're walking in a crowd of people, so everybody's touching you. I don't know if you noticed that about what's happening right here. And Jesus says, no, I felt somebody touch my clothes. Power went out for me. Who touched me? So this woman, who's kind of just hiding in the background, she comes forward and she falls down at Jesus' feet, and she's quite scared. Now, as I told you in the Mark series, the reason why she is quite scared is because in the Middle East, it is considered to be very inappropriate for a woman to touch a man who is not her husband. Now, the punishment for this can range, and it varies depending on where you are and the culture that you're in. It can go anywhere from they yell at you, to they beat you, to they imprison you, to they execute you, depending on where you are and who you touched. So she's quite scared. She's at his feet, and rather than get angry or mad or attack her, Jesus looks at her and he says something very strange, something that I've always found to be so odd. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now that's a strange statement. You probably read this thing your whole life and thought, nothing that strange about it, right? But shouldn't he be say something quite different than that? Shouldn't he say, daughter, I have made you well? Because isn't Jesus the one doing the healing? But instead, he says, daughter, your faith, your faith has made you well. In essence, Jesus is saying, you're responsible for your own healing. You're the one who deserves the credit. Now, why does he do that? Why does he give her all the credit for the healing? Well, I think Jesus intuitively understood something that Ellen Langer's study showed us, which is that your belief changes your biology. This woman believed so strongly that if she could just touch Jesus, that it literally healed her body. And so when Jesus looks at her, he says, your faith has healed you because he understands how belief can transform our lives. But let's step back, have a little honesty moment here. How many of you have believed something so strongly that you've had that kind of impact on your body, where you believed it so strongly that it just 
healed you right then and there. I said what I thought. Well, there's some people. George, you got one? There's a few people. It's interesting. First service, there was nobody. Second service, there was one. And in here, we have two. So we have some people of strong faith. It is rare, though. It's rare. Can we put that out there? And I think that's why Jesus, when he looks at this woman, he's impressed with her because there's not that many people who have that level of faith where they can literally believe something and it heals them. I mean, look at what Ellen Langer had to go through, right? It's not like she was just like, hey, here you go, guys, feel better. She had to go through all of this trouble to transform this monastery down to the most minute detail in order to affect these men's lives. And so the question that I want to end with this morning and I want to talk about is what can we do as people here in this church, what can we do to believe more strongly so that we have the kind of belief that can transform our lives for the better, so that we can transform our lives in positive ways? And I think the first thing we have to just address here is the fact that we are Presbyterians, and Presbyterians tend to be very intellectual in their thought. I know I'm guilty of that. I know you never would have guessed that about me, that, that I'm guilty of that. But we tend to be very intellectual. We're very good at intellectually expressing our beliefs. You all are a smart bunch of folks. Most of you are quite educated, right? And so if I get up here and I tell you to believe something, no, you're not just going to believe it. It has to make sense up here before you're going to integrate it into your life. But the truth is, as I told you last week, beliefs are more than something that's intellectual. Beliefs have to be lived. So I told you last, last week how I struggled with my intelligence. This is something that really was a tough thing for me. And the fact is that I didn't just believe I was intelligent. I lived it out. It's not like it was just something I was like, oh, I'm not very smart. I had test scores to prove to you that I was not very intelligent. So I was literally living out that belief in my life. I had to embody it. I had to experience it. So true, true belief, it is always lived. And look at Ellen Langer's study. Those men had to live as though it were 1959 in order to undergo a transformation. That woman in the Bible had to live as though Jesus were her only hope in order to be healed. And what Judy read today was she said, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is within you. For the kingdom of God to be real, you have to believe it, but even more than that, you need to embody it. You have to bring it to life by acting out those beliefs in the world. Your beliefs can be in your mind, but the truth is, a real belief is something you feel in your bones. Have you all ever believed something so much that you can feel it in your bones? No? <laughs> Maybe? Something? I mean, let me give you an example. Maybe when you met your spouse. Sometimes people know it in their bones. They feel it in their bones. It's a belief that you love this person. Right? Have you all ever felt that? A belief? Well, here, what I'm trying to say is, is that we have to live out our beliefs. And in this church, we give you lots of opportunity to live it out. So recently, the most recent way we've been doing that is with our family night. Now, how many of you here have been to family night so far? Okay, if you haven't been, come to family night just once. Even just for the dinner, if you can. 
If you can make it out just once for the dinner, it's a wonderful chance just to be together as a community. And it's a lot of people who are together and who are serving. But that's not the only way. That's not the only thing we do. Some of you here have done Habitat for Humanity. Right, Nancy? Some of you here have done, gone out and done Paint-a-thon. Some of you in here, you have gone out and you're Stephen Ministers. You care for other people in the church. Some of you in here have been deacons where you're working with Judy to try to transform the way that we serve people in this community. Some of you, I know some people back there in the very back, they come in and they, during Lent and Advent, like you're going to see that in a few weeks, this place is going to be transformed. And that's because people give their time. They ask a no thank you. They come in here and they put their beliefs into action and they transform this place to make it beautiful for you all. And there are some people who don't even reside here. They'll go out to Sisseton, South Dakota, or as Judy was talking about, Pastor Osvaldo, he's here. They go to Dominican Republic. There are all these places where we give you opportunities to serve. Because here's the deal, and hear me on this, because this is really important. Unless you are living out the teachings of Jesus, the truth is you will never be able to experience the full transformative power of the Christian faith. I really believe that to be true. If you are not living it out, you can never fully experience that transformative power. So do you want to be like those men in Ellen Langer's study? Do you want to be like that woman who was healed? Do you want to make the world a better place so that we can bring God's kingdom here to earth? Okay, if you do, then what that means is we got to get up out of our seats and we got to put our beliefs in to action. We have to work to ensure that our beliefs become real because the more you put those things into action, the more real they become, the greater the transformative effect on the world around you and on you. And the only thing I can say is, is that what that means is we got to move, transform from our head to our hearts. And so this is what I want to leave you with today. This is my last little thing. My prayer for you is that you might understand that every single one of you in here, you have beliefs, and that those beliefs are extraordinarily powerful. They can change the world for the better, and they can literally change physically who you are, depending on how you believe. But in order for all of that potential to become a reality, you have to be willing to transfer all of that belief from your head to your heart so you feel it in your bones. May it be so for us that we work hard to bring our beliefs into action so that we can do our part to bring God's kingdom here to Arlington Heights. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.